When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to Big Gay Energy. I'm Bree. I'm Theora. And I'm Caitlin. Come along with us while we dive into the fun and nuances of queer media. Representation matters, and we're here to talk about it. Welcome back, friends. We have an amazing guest today. Let's welcome Pranit Akila, who plays Gregorio Shelbark on our beloved motherland. Thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. So glad to be here. Anytime. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're sorry we didn't get more of Gregorio the entire show, but we're glad we got me him. Too. We're so glad. He's one of the best characters in the show, honestly. So thank you. Thank Aww. you. Thank you. Aww. Yeah. Thank you. No, thank you all. I mean, I, I, I um, it's always weird. Um, saying anything about it because like it's such a small role in the grand scheme of things but um what i found early on was it was a very vocal fan base and very passionate a fan base and uh i was a little shy at first and then people started to reach out and then i started to reach out to them as well and then it just became this whole thing that's even beyond me at this point and so um as a fan of the show for first and foremost i was like you know what I'm going to just have fun interacting with everybody. And, and I think even being on set and stuff, I think um, we all wanted more of a Gregorio. I just think, I mean, we'll get into it, but yeah, I think, I think uh, uh, for, for <laughs> the tiny role that I play, just the amount of love and support has been just insane. So uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys. It, it honestly is so well-deserved and, and in, in this story of motherland, which is mostly like focused on kind of like, the female aspect, especially when it comes to like the witch army, it was really refreshing to have to, to focus on a male witch, especially Gregorio, who was not just like there, but he was like part of like the military, like he was actively about to like fight. He was part of a coven. So how, how do you think this affected Gregorio? He's one of the few male characters we see that like that that's in kind of like almost combat kind of role. How do you think like preparing for that affected him as a male witch in that society? Well, I think it's a number of things. I mean, I think I think there's a couple of things there. It's he comes from a position of privilege and power already being a high Atlantic. And so he's he's coming from the same sort of uh, level that Abigail is, you know, it's from the same society. So, you know, yes, it's it is female centric and, and the power dynamic has been shifted on like our, you know, our society in real life, of course. And so he understands, you know, the male witch's place in that universe. But at the same time, uh, he's also, you know, uh, when it comes to hand fasting or, or sort of those arranged marriages that, that happen at that level, he, he's been told his whole life that, like, he is somebody special and that, you know, he's required to propagate that line. And so it's it is not only does he understand his place in the world, but he's also uh, um, he understands his role as well. But the thing is, 
with that, uh, he also understands the privilege that he has and, and the power that he has to even speak up. I mean, there's people I'm, I'm sure in that society that are, that, you know, uh, come from much poorer societies that, that can't speak up or have the soapbox to speak up or, um, you know, do those things. And, and in fact, that there's, there were two scenes that were cut from, uh, I think it was season two episode. Uh, I think, yeah, it was the premiere. It was like the episode that Gregor Gloria was first introduced. And there were two scenes that were actually cut from that episode. Because I can say this now because the show's uh, done, but like uh, there were two scenes where he's literally on a soapbox, like having a speech to the witches about uh, male witch rights. Um, there was one scene like that. And then there's a scene with Adil where he like chases Adil down after the class and he talks to Adil about joining him um, because he was going to organize a march, um, you know, to fight for male witch rights. And so there, there's some things that like it hurt me, of course. And, and you know, these decisions are made due to logistics and the money and time and all those things. And, and I wish the characters got a glimpse of, uh, not the characters, I wish the audience got a chance to watch those scenes because it really informed who he was and what his character was. But at no point, you know, he fights for male witch rights, but he also, um, I think that the thing I love about Gregorio is he also gives space to uh, the female witches in his coven. You know, I, I don't think there's any sort of malicious or bad bone in his body where it's like, you know, he's, he's about equality if anything else, but he at no point is it like male witches are better or anything like that, you know? Um, so yeah, I think I rambled so badly there. Uh, but no, you didn't. No, Gregorio's <laughs> an activist. I love him more now. <laughs> yeah, like, that's even more reason to love him. Well, that was on the original breakdown. Like that was the scenes that I uh, auditioned with. Like, like that was all a part of the, oh, the wow. character. Oh yeah, like it was a whole thing. Um, yeah. See, that's even a good segue into our next question, which was how much did you know about him when you auditioned? Just just what they gave me, right? Like I, I, I read a bit of the script and, um, you know, the, the initial breakdown of the character talked about all these things. Um, they talked a lot about, a bit, about his humor and his snarkiness and his wittiness. And, um, and then they talked about his relationship with Abigail and Abigail's family. Um, and, of course, reading the script, I kind of dug into his relationship with Libba and I even asked um, Elliot when I got the part about because I I'd watched season one but I wanted to get a deeper sense of you know where he came from and and his relationship with Libba because he truly did love her and um, and so that's when I started to get more and more more details about him but um, you know I, I think it's always interesting right when a new character a new male witch character is announced it's always like oh my god is you know is he gonna what, what, like, what relationship is he going to ruin or where he's coming into like, you know, is it, is it was Garrett at first and now it's Abigail's love interest. Cause that's what it was initially to me. It was like, Oh, is it Abigail's love interest? He's going to, he's going to come between Adil and Abigail. And thankfully it wasn't that cause I definitely did not want that. Um, and so naturally even, even my relationship with Ashley initially, she was a little, and she's not going to mind me saying this. She was a little, like, she was a little cold, cold in the sense of like, you know, she was like, uh, who's this dude? you know, coming into set and, and you know, cause she was also, I think part of her was a bit scared as well that like we would go in that direction. And eventually we both were like, yeah, no, this is, this isn't a thing. We're brother and sister. And, and you can even see that in, in the dynamic of season two, where he's literally just wants to be there for her and reconnect because they used to be old friends and, and she's giving him space to do that initially. And so there's this little, there's these little, this, this banter between them that I love uh, that we were able to establish. And that also bled into our, um, our real life as well. So, yeah. That's awesome. 
I love that. It it definitely does have sibling energy between the two of them. And it could have easily been like weird power dynamic stuff, given like they came from like the privileged society, but it's, it's very not, it's like very respectful. I do love that. Exactly. And you did ask, and your question was a great one, which was, you know, like he obviously has uh, certain, he obviously has witch physiology, right? He's, he's got, you know, enhanced vocal cords. He's got these different weapons and, and, and things like that. But even in terms of, you know, just the philosophy of the coven and, and when they are in a position where they're under attack, if you notice like a lot of the time, and this is something that we discussed even with the stunt coordinators and um, Brian as well was one of our EPs. Um, typically the attacks were reserved for our female witches and he would do defensive flanks. And this is very, I'm getting very nerdy here when it comes to, you know, like no, the attack tactics and stuff. No, like, no, no tell this us. is the stuff we love. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but like, you know, the, the, we, I was reserved to defensive flanks, which is basically I'd watch everybody's back and then they would take charge of the attack strategy, which is why when I get shot with the arrow or whatever, like I'm the last, I'm, I'm, that is literally my role in the structure of a coven is to essentially sacrifice myself should, should a situation arise. Um, and so, and so that's why, you know, no matter how many snarky comments he would make, or he kind of appeared to be a little bit of a, I don't know, like he just, I didn't want him to come off as too mean spirited or too much of a smart ass. And I think, I think knowing all this backstory about him, I was just like, Oh no, he's, he's actually a really good guy. He's actually a really good person. Um, he just wants, you know, he just wants equality when when it comes to society, he wants certain, uh, especially when it comes to employment in the military, he wants certain rights advocated to male witches and, and things like that. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's a shame. We never got to really fully explore that, I feel, but yeah. That would have been so fun. It would have yeah. been. And you played it perfectly because he never came off as too snarky or in any way too, he always came off as like this really sweet guy who had good one-liners in the moment. Yes. So, Totally. And, 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 that, and th- that was the first time I also got to just play somebody that was kind of like that. I think up until that point, I was just playing a lot of broody, like, like broody McBroodsters, like very like broody leading man brood type people. Mm. That was good English right there. Um, and, uh, and, <laughs> and, and then finally I just got to be a person that just like had some good, like sort of, you know, you speak of those one-liners, there were much more right in the scenes that I talked about. And, and so, it was just fun to play somebody so different from what I'd been playing up until that point. And, uh, and then just getting to just kick ass on set, you know, just like it's, it's a childhood dream, right? Just to, you know, literally fight like those, that sequence with the dolls in season two and stuff. And like, just getting to do that and, and the green screen work and like running and jumping and explosions and, and like, and, and the, and, uh, this, um, I always get the pronunciation wrong. Some, some, some name, some, uh, Oh, Salwin. 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 I know the spelling. Yeah. Spelling it always. Yeah. Yeah. The Salwin, like that, that's whole sequence. Like those horses and those people riding those horses, that was all real. Like that was all real. Right. None of that was CGI. And we literally had like horse trainers in all that get up, like riding these black horses. And it was raining that day. It was like pouring and it was like 2 AM, 3 AM in the morning. We were shooting that. And, and like, you know, just getting to be in that position and just being like, this is so freaking cool that, you know, and I'm a huge, like, you know, Harry Potter fan, of course, growing up. And so like, sure, it's not exactly the same wizard, witch thing, but like just being in that moment, I was just like, this is the closest I'll get, you know, 
to being a part of something like that, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was an absolute blast. That's super cool. Oh, I love that so much. And, and you're, I totally agree. I think, um, Gregorio has a lot of versatility to him and he's a very like, again, like he's not in the show the whole time, but he's such a full character. Like when we get him and I think a piece that like helped humanize him pretty early on is number one, his relationship with Abigail, but also when we learn about Libba. And um, so we're just kind of curious, you talked about this a little bit, but how much did you know, like backstory wise about Libba and like, what was Gregorio's like grieving like for her? Cause we kind of come into like the tail end of that a little bit as an audience. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the very tail end of it. And yeah, I mean, I, I watched season one, I watched season one. And so I sort of knew the surface level relationships between Libba and Abigail and the characters. Um, and Elliot, Elliot, told me sort of the timeline, which was that, you know, he, like when Libba left for, uh, for school or whatever, he was in it because they kept them separate. So it was a different school, but they were, they had like a bit of a, like a long distance right, relationship at that point, but they were together for about two and a half years, um, wow. you know, up until that point. And so, um, yeah, when he, when he crashes that scene with the three of them in the bedroom and he, and he says, you know, um, Libba and I were actually together back then, um, you know, and him being at the funeral and everything like that. It, it's those moments. It's tough. You know, sometimes as an actor, it's like you can only actualize so much of what you see. Like I, I want, I do wonder about this alternate universe where I had I spent time with the actor who played Libba, you know, maybe a little bit in season one and like what the stakes would have been in season two. Um, but it was very emotional for him because it was two and a half years is a long time, you know, being in that, in that relationship. And also it, it's a tough relationship to be in family wise, because everybody in the high Atlantic society and his family wants him to be with Abigail. Like that's the entire, his entire responsibility. Um, he's not going to have a high position in, in the military. He's not going to, you know, whatever he does with the rest of his life, his proudest accomplishment to his family will be uh, propagating the bellwether line, you know, so that, that, you know, that's his sole responsibility. And so you can imagine the toll that it takes on relationships with his family, being with somebody like Libba. Um, but, you know, regardless of that, he still was in a committed relationship with this person, uh, which speaks to how much she truly did love her. And um, and I wish, I wish in season two, and again, just because I'm not the main character, so it makes sense, but like, I wish we got a chance to film like, you know, the scene with the candle and like, and, and he was able to go talk to her and you could see that. That would be, that yes. would be wonderful. Yeah. We would have that loved that. Be... We missed Libba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, I know. She's wonderful. The, the act, from what I've, I've never actually met her, but like from what the cast has told me. Um, yeah, she's great. So. Oh, we talk about, we talked about her a lot on the podcast for quite Has a she while. been on the podcast? It, or when, no, when did you guess no. when did you all start the podcast oh like a year ago after okay. season two yeah after, after season, season two podcast. yeah oh and uh we didn't really start doing interviews until somewhat recently yeah a couple months so i think we started with arlen bob right bob was first we started with bob and then we and went to arlen. arlen okay how can i forget bob i don't know Bree. Love the Jeez. Love both of <laughs> do not tell him <laughs> <laughs> swear you both to secrecy anyway um so there's a hand-to-hand -hand combat scene where abigail takes gregorio down in 203 yes 
We had the pleasure of speaking with the fight coordinator, Michelle C. Smith, Mm -hmm. a while back, and she gave us a little bit of insight into her job. Now, can you tell us about shooting that scene or like any fight scene from your perspective? Yeah, it's a lot of uh, rehearsal and, and it's very like... It's not, uh, it doesn't feel badass while you're practicing because it's very specific and very targeted because you don't want to hurt the actor. Um, and so it was, I think we had like two or three rehearsal sessions and not just, not just Ashley and I, but like everybody in that scene, but like, you know, it was once we had the the weapon in the hand or she had the weapon and I, I think I, yeah, I actually, you know, I had it too, but like. You know, it was very like target. It was like target practice, very like slow motion target practice. My stunt double, uh, uh, his name's Kerpa, Kerpa Budwal. He's he's fantastic. He's literally been my stunt double for like every show I've done, and um, and so he trained me for it as well. Um, and that's because there's not many brown guys that do stunts in in Canada. So shout out to shout out to Kerpa by the way. He's he's wonderful. Um, and so yeah, he was my stunt double, and so he trained me a lot. And so it's a lot of it's very meticulous. It's like very like it can be very boring at times, you know, because you want to make it very precise and then uh, slowly the speed ramps up. And then by the time you're on set, the directors and the producers assume that you're ready to go. And so we have like a warm up run with the stunt coordinators and then we, uh, and then we start shooting and then we've got several takes to get it right. Um, and, uh, and I, and of course, you know, it's still, no matter what, no matter how you slice it, it's still very short rehearsal time. Cause you're only like one or two rehearsals and, and I'm from the theater. I'm I've, like, I, I've been doing theater my whole life. And so when it comes to theater, like you're doing a whole play or musical on stage and you've rehearsed for a month and then you do the show for two months. And so it's like, it's like so deeply ingrained, but for film and TV, we just don't have that kind of time. And so mistakes will happen. Um, uh, Ashley did smack me in the face. Um, but I was <laughs> um, she still apologizes to this day. And I, and I, I've like done this thing now where like I make her feel bad. Like I'm, I'm actually totally fine, but like, you know, um, so that's been fun to torture her mind a little bit. And uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then of course I became a meme because somebody spotted my mistake, which was, I think I was, yeah, I think somebody, I think, yeah, she like hit me a certain way and I moved the other way. Um, And that's because we're not actually being hit. So we don't feel you know, the instinct, the instinctual impulse to move our body the way that we're hit. And I was doing choreographed movement. And, um, and so that became an entire meme uh, on Twitter, basically, uh, for that entire week, it still haunts me to this day. Um, But I love it. I secretly love it. And so, so yeah, that's, that's the insight. (laughs) I remember that meme. Yes, yes. (laughs) Floating around for a long, long time. It Uh, was. People would not let it go. I was like, I've seen it again. All right. There's Bernie going by. In fact, I wasn't, I mean, y'all roasted me for it after. Like, my mom actually saw it before, and she's the one. No way. Your mom mom, mom mom got you. My mom was the first one to be like, what are you doing? Like, you're moving the wrong wrong direction. That's amazing. I was just like, first of all, I can't like the editors and the and the directors and the producers. They themselves didn't notice, right? For some reason, <laughs> but, but everybody else. Leave it to moms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously, like, and she she like doesn't watch anything, and then she watches this, and she's like, not even like, oh my god, this is so cool, watching my son on TV, like nothing. It's like you're moving the wrong way with your knees. Fix it. You can't even get that. It's cool that you're on TV doing a fight scene. No, 
<laughs> what the Actually, heck? I'm, I'm going to post something that my – I had a text uh, – I was texting my, – my dad texted me. He's just catching up on the last season of Motherland, so he's watching the last two episodes. And uh, I'll, I'm going to post it. I'm not going to – I'll post it on Twitter. You'll see. Okay, You'll see the wait. text thing. We'll, yeah. we'll keep our eyes peeled. Yeah. Because <laughs> that sounds like something oh, yeah. we would like to see. Oh, yeah. It keeps me humble. Very humble. <laughs> So, moving away from stunts for like a minute, uh, yeah. another character we get to see Gregorio bond a lot with um, is Adil, especially in season two. And so I'm just wondering what Gregorio thinks of that relationship, because like you kind of mentioned, there's not a lot of like male witches. So like, here comes Adil. So like, what, mm-hmm. what did Gregorio kind of like think of him and how did their relationship kind of evolve? Well, I, th- I think it's it's based on a foundation of just deep respect and admiration. Like, I, Gregorio is Adil's number one fanboy. Like, I, I would like to think that he's got posters. If, if Adil was a superhero, like, you know, uh, he would have posters of him, like, all over his bedroom wall. Um, you know, that bromance is not something that was manufactured. Like, it, it is it is very – it was very much there in the script. Obviously, I talked about some of the scenes that were cut between them to develop that bromance more. But, like, it was that was always there. The Adorio thing, it was – was a very real thing for both of us and the creators of the show. Um, you know, and it's, it, and it's for someone like Gregorio who's fighting for male, witch rights, uh, Adil represents, um, sort of the, 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 the apex of what that means. Right. Which is, you know, for someone like, uh, an Adil with the power that Adil has, it's very much a, you know, absolute power corrupting. Absolutely. Like that's a version of that that could have potentially happened. But Adil is so not that, you know? And so when Gregory is fighting for those rights, it's like, this is an example of what this could be. You know, this is an example of what we could train young uh, male witches to become, you know? Not not just as witches and not just about powers and all the cool stuff, but like it's about like about them as, as, as men in society, about how they can actually be the shining light, uh, you know, to, to, to everybody in that, in that universe, which is Adil. In, in, in essence. So, so I think it starts with a deep respect and admiration for, and then, you know, uh, obviously he's trying to learn mother tongue. And so there's, uh, you know, there's scenes with, with Adil teaching him mother, mother tongue. And, um, and I really loved the last scene in season three, uh, the one that, you know, they had a little moment they had before the wedding. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, that was so cute. There's, yeah. There's deep love there, you know, and, and, and there, there, like there's a deep, admiration, respect, and love. And, and if you're going to count Abigail as sort of his little sister in a way, like, you know, or, you know, whatever, it's, it's like, he's just a proud older brother kind of thing, you know, being like, you know, I, if there's somebody that she's marrying, I'm glad it's you kind of thing, you know? And, um, and so, and so, yeah, I I think that's what that relationship is based on. And um, I wish, I just wish we had more, more time. That's going to be the theme for, 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 for Gregorio in general, right? It's, it's, and it's a good it's a good lesson for 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 any actor out there. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's just so much is out of your control. Like so much is out of your control. And, and like I, I'm I, I'm sort of transitioning into doing more producing my own content and stuff like that a lot more as well. And so like I I get it. Like it is it is a hard job. And I got to shadow uh, the directors on Motherland because I asked if I could shadow them, and I I got to even like. Uh, do little mini unpaid internships in the producing room and stuff like that. And and like getting to learn how a show is made, it's fascinating. And, um, and it's, so it's easy to take something like that personally, but like 
you know, I'd show up to set some mornings and I'd talk to Brian and be like, oh, this line's been cut or this scene's been cut. And Brian would be so, he'd be so distraught about it. He'd be like, oh, dude, I just, this is the last thing I wanted. I didn't want to, I didn't want to run into you today because I knew if I ran into you, I'd have to have this conversation. And you have no idea how hard I fought for it yesterday and it didn't go through and I'm so sorry, you know? And so they, they like the showrunners and the producers take it as personally as, as, as we do and as the fans do. And it just sucks. Like reality sucks sometimes where it's like, things just get in the way, like, you know, be it weather, be it money, be it <laughs> like a location dropping out, be it like one of the directors that they hired isn't getting things on time. And so now they have no choice but to cut scenes, you know, to make their day. And, um, and so I had to sort of be gracious and just take that in stride and be like, you know what, maybe not this character, another character I'll play, it's gonna be a bit more developed, but I just, I loved whatever, whatever limited time that Gregorio had on screen and whatever limited time that he had on the page. I'm, I'm glad that um, the producers and the showrunners gave me the room to experiment and play with whatever I had, at least, you know, because I've been on sets and places where uh, you don't even have that type of freedom, you know? And so I, I think it's to their credit that uh, I was able to fully embody him as much as I could. So, yeah. <sighs> That's amazing. Um, I think the theme of, of uh, like our theme with the show has been, we need more time <laughs> in general. Yeah. Like, I just feel like Elliot's like world and brainchild was so huge that we could have used like 10 more episodes a season. So. Oh, 100%. And I, in fact, I talked to Elliot about that on the last day, or at least my last day. Um, cause he said, he's like, how the, how are the, cause he's like, he's not on, he's not on social media. And so he asked me, <laughs> he's like, how are the, like, how's everybody taking it? Like, how's it, like, how's Twitter now? How, you know, and I'm, and I told him and he's just like, he's like, he's like, believe me, never say never. I'm also fighting, you know? And so, so, um, Elliot's Elliot also. And if correct me if I'm wrong, it was initially going to be a book series, I think, mm -hmm. right? And, and, yeah, I think and, so. Uh, yeah, yeah. it's going to be a book series. And so if anything, maybe you never know, like maybe, uh, maybe he starts writing, in, you know, future sort of subsequent things as a novel, you know, better than nothing, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm also very hopeful uh, as a fan of the show. Yeah. You never know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We could pull it out somehow. Someone could take pity on us. <laughs> You're trying uh, though. Everyone's trying. Everyone's trying. Which yeah, is good. absolutely. Yeah. Just, just wait. We'll have more trucks outside of Hulu and things. <laughs> um. All right. So, army witches are split into specialties: fixer, knower, blaster, and necro. Does Gregorio have a specialty and what would yours be if you were a witch yourself? I don't think we ever discussed what a specialty is. I mean, I guess from my conversations with them, I was just talking about like him being like really good at setting a def defensive flank um, in military terms. So what would that be out of the four categories? What did you say again? You said... He's picture. in the blaster it's, it's, category. He's because he, he did blaster magic. He did yeah. blaster work at the end. That's like the but I was stuff. just curious. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Blaster knower being like tallies, fixer rail, uh, necro. I would say blaster necro. 
Definitely not a necro. No, 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 no. He strikes. He struck. Always struck me as a blaster. Anyway, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Blaster. I would say blaster. And in terms of me, um, ooh, that's a very good question. I think we only I'm ask a, the hard questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. I'm a fixer. <laughs> I oh. could see that. You give me yeah. fixer energy. I'm a fixer. I think I'm a fixer. Yeah. Yeah. Lots I, of I like caring for others and nurture. Yeah, I like to. I like to fix. Things. Helping. Just, yeah. Helping. Sometimes to my own detriment. I feel sometimes. Um, you know, there is that too. Sometimes you just yeah. have to. You'd have. Walk away. <laughs> you'd have that in common with rail. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So from basically everybody we've talked to about who have worked on Motherland, whether it be crew, cast, everybody's had very wonderful things to, to say about it as a whole, as a project. So we're curious, what has your experience on Motherland like taught you about yourself or your abilities as an actor? Good question. Um, I... Uh... Well, I, I think first and foremost, it it taught me a lot. I mean, I kind of touched on it before, but it it really taught me both the good and the bad of the business, right? I, I think there's this idealistic view of like when you're an up and coming actor, you walk into something and you're like, it's going to be amazing. And, and it was, the experience was amazing. But then you also see the harsh realities of show business, which a show like this really taught me on, on a smaller scale, you know, like at the end of the day, even motherland isn't, isn't like stranger things level budget. Right. So it's like, it's got even in its sweet spot being a freeform show, a Disney freeform Hulu show, I got to see sort of the inner workings of something like that. And so I think for me, it, it sort of enlightened me to like, well, how this business actually works, but then that also empowered me to make choices as an actor, recognize that, Hey, you're not going to have all the time in the day to, take all your time in front of the camera and do whatever you want, like, like Ashley Taylor or Jess do because they're the main characters. And so they get that, that screen time and the power to be able to do that and, and ask for notes and ask for changes. So as a recurring character like me or Arlen or S or, um, you know, even, even Bob, but Bob is a different category. Cause he's just, he's like, you know, on a different level than all of us, but like, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it also taught me how to use that limited time. And, and be efficient with it, you know? And I think many young actors, they don't know that when they come into this thing. And, and so the show unintentionally taught me that as well. And then outside of it all, just like the kindness and like how incredibly kind everybody was on that set. And it started from the top down, you know? Um, Amanda Tapping was our executive producer and director on many of the episodes. Her energy as a director is, I mean, I can see why people were crying so much by the end of it because she just made it such an incredible place to work. Like not a single grumpy, you know, curmudgeon on set ever. Everybody was just so happy to be there. Everybody was so happy to devote their time and their energy and love to make something really, really special for you all. And, and I think that was, that mission was very clear. And that was, it was just done so, so well by Amanda. She really set the tone from day one and even, even above her, like even Elliot and like Brian and just, Every single person from, from the, the number one to, you know, the, the, the special effects crew uh, to the people that served as lunch. Like it was, 
it was just such a wonderful set to be on. And so that gave me a great example going forward. Now that's the benchmark for me. Like, and anything I work on in the future, like this show will be a benchmark because I can see how good it can be. And so no other show has an excuse to be anything less than when it comes to people skills and how to treat people. Um, and so, and so, yeah, um, I think I answered your question. I could be rambling again, but yes, you know, you did. those are one of many things, you know, the show has taught me. Um, and of course the people, you know, like the relationships, I think that's the biggest thing that I'll take away from it all. Um, just the moments of laughter in between and like just being silly and, um, yeah, it, it, I'm just, I'm, I'm so glad I'm, and I'm still in touch with everybody. And so I think luckily it's not going to be one of those shows, I think, where we just become strangers to each other and never talk to each other again. I think it'll be one of those shows where we've all sort of bonded and, and, uh, and yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a wonderful time getting to know people outside of the show now as we keep going. So there you go. Yeah. You answered it. And this is a place for rambling anyway. So <laughs> you can cut, you know, you can cut. No, no never. <laughs> No, your answer was great. No, it, it seems like it was extremely impactful just for a lot of people that were involved with it. So like, thank you for sharing like multiple aspects of what it meant to you yeah. and, and your experience. Definitely. Yeah. And and it's no uh, coincidence, uh, this might be a controversial statement, but it's no coincidence that uh, a female-led show, um, it was just, was a little less ego, egoless, if that makes any sense. <laughs> And I'm not yeah. uh, like, I know, like, I know that like people will be like, oh, well, way to generalize there. But, and, and I, and I don't mean to generalize because of course every situation is different, but like, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a reason when, when uh, women are in charge, it just feels, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, it just feels like there's just less pride and ego that determines stuff on set. You know, um, there's just a little more generosity, a little more openness, um, but it, but I can only speak for myself. That's just been my experience on set. I, I can't speak for every single person on, on the crew and the cast, of course, but um, yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, there've actually been studies about women leaders in corporate environments and how they're more, <clears throat> how they're able to cooperate and make concessions and like have a more open communication environment than in general than than male CEOs. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it makes sense and generalizations are, exist for a reason like stereotypes do. So it's not like, like yeah. it makes yeah. sense is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll switch gears a little bit and do something slightly more fun. This has been fun till now, so I don't know what you. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how to get more wait. fun than this. But. You just wait. We <laughs> should just be wait. wrong. The fun has. Caitlin's not here yet, so the yeah, fun Caitlin's hasn't begun. Oh yeah. right, right. Okay. okay. <laughs> Caitlin's not invited yet. No, you hide, Caitlin. No, you get out of here. <laughs> We've been close. <laughs> You'll get your time. He's ours now. Um. What would Gregorio's go-to karaoke song be? Oh my goodness. Uh, what would Gregorio's? I know what mine is. Gregorio's. So What's you're going to tell us both now that yeah. you mentioned okay. yours. <laughs> well, okay. Well, mine is I Want It That Way by Backstreet Boys. I always, I mean, that's my nice. always. I always oh yeah. Classic. Um, yes. I think Gregorio's might be anything by Tina Turner. 
Oh, interesting. Oh, I like I it. I can see that 100%. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of Tina Turner vibes in there. Yes. Yeah. I enjoy that. I love that. Yeah. Yes. See? Good choice. Yeah. See. Oh, now, see, that's another scene that got cut, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, obviously. That. <laughs> that's why you need the, the Motherland so musical episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Someday, someday, someday. What's, yeah, what's love got to do with it? I think that's a good. That's a good. That's a good oh yes! Now I'm gonna have that oh, yeah. image in my head. Oh, Gregorio yeah. singing that <laughs> on stage after some witches' tears. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So aside from being super fun and would kill it at karaoke, in general, Gregorio is a comes off as a very noble character in a lot of ways. Like we see that demonstrated several times throughout the season. And so he has a lot of really good traits and we're just wondering like, does he have any bad traits like at all? Cause we don't really see them. Yeah, that's true. You don't really see them on the show necessarily, but I, I think, I mean, I'd like to think that uh, we all, I mean, we all have flaws. I think uh, Gregorio's, I think I think Gregorio's biggest flaw would be that he cares too much. No, I'm kidding. No, 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 no. That's so. That's so. It's such a. Ugh. Um, God, you really stumped me with this one. I don't know. What are his flaws? It's a very good question. Caring too much can be a flaw to your own Caring detriment. Too much? It can be. You know? Caring too much. I, I think. I think. I, I touched on it before. Ego. Like I think that's definitely a part of it. You know, there's there's a little bit of ego. There's a little bit of like I'm the smartest person in the room, and I think I know what the solution to this thing is. I can see is. that, yeah. Right, or like, or like I th- I know you guys are going this way, but really we should go this way. Really, that's the w- that's where you want to go. Okay, fine. Like the eye rolly thing, like the judgmental. I think, the judgmental. I think judgmental for sure. I think I, um, I think stubbornness, judgmental. Um, I think he does have like even in I think. I like to think that he's got like this this uh, high sn- like the snobby fashion uh, thing going on as well. Oh yes, I can see it. He's definitely he totally. Does. He's got like the thing that the get up, and it was too dark in the show. Like it was just because everything was at night. But like what I was wearing, like that jacket and that shirt, is some high. That's like some Met Gala like stuff there. Like it was actually very like like everybody was complaining. Like everybody, the whole cast and even the costume department were like, why does he get to wear this cool? Fashion stuff, and I'm just like that's because that's how Gregorio dresses in real life. What are you talking about? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's Gregorio. Yeah, that's Gregorio Shellbark. Um, funny anecdote: I, I thought his last name was Bellshark the entire time, and so I was just like, <laughs> or all the bellwethers. Like I thought it was Bellwether so Bellshark. I thought I was just like the whole High Atlantic people. Like in season two, like it was embarrassingly late when I found out that it was Shellbark. Like I've been saying it wrong the whole time, and I was just like, oh, okay, I guess all of the High Atlantic witches like it's Bell and something else. So I was just like, there's probably like a bell tiger, bell lion, bell something. And then Ashley was like, you idiot. It's, it's shell bark. And so that, <laughs> my entire fantasy was ruined. Um, That's a mistake yeah. I would have made. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> that trade yeah, yeah. makes sense. I it think does, so. Like, it I, does. We see how you got there. Yes. <laughs> you got all the bell societies. All, you yeah, know, the they, there's a whole coil in there. But, it's the you know, bells. It's the bells. So yeah, I think those are his, I think those are his flaws. But yeah, I think I feel like I feel like with some of those scenes and stuff like that, especially maybe the speech, like the the speech about which rights and stuff like that. I think people would have seen a little more of that. But even that scene was very like 
it was it was just a it was a good it was a different angle because the show hadn't had up until that point so i think mm-hmm. even that he didn't really come off as snobby or arrogant really in that scene either he was very much this is what i want this is this is what i'm trying to fight for and and yeah yeah that makes total sense and mm-hmm. i am sad we didn't get to see that i know yeah me too. <sighs> oh well there's not enough time for all the good stuff okay. But thank you for telling us about it, that it exists. Yeah, no, no problem, no problem. I hope I don't get into trouble for it, but I think I I should be fine now. Yeah, you should be. I mean, yeah. I I should be fine. (laughs) All right, so firstly, Gregorio has good taste in women, obviously. Yes, agreed. But what do you think attracted him to Libba and Tally? And what do you think they brought to him in return? Mm. I think Gregorio really uh, is attracted to emotional availability. That makes sense. I think um, I think he comes from such a analytical high sort of frequency like very like like a like a a world that's based on like numbers and logic and and Mm -hmm. these things and i think opposites attract where i think what somebody like a libo or tally allows i mean you look at tally i mean as a character like she's, she's she's so emotionally available um She's like an open vessel for the people that are around her and even with her upbringing and everything like that. Like she's such a, I mean, there's that innocence, right? There's the bit of that innocence and naivete that, that gets hardened over time. She grows a thicker skin over time, of course, all of all the adversity that she has to go through. But like, if you think back to Tally in season one, like who she is, you know, as a person, I think that's what Gregorio sees in her is that season one version of Tally when she's so new to everything and she's just so excited and she's so excitable and she's very like, She's just so emotionally available and so there for others, very much like Gregorio. And I think, I think from a very sort of his whole upbringing has been in such a logical analytical world that when somebody has that sort of just when they think with their gut and when they're just so emotionally available, I think, I think he sees it as just like this warm, cozy bed that he just gets to fall into, you know, mm-hmm. for once to just remove that sort of that, that stuff from his head, you know? And I think, I think that's what Libba and, Tally, at least for me, I'm, and I'm talking purely just backstory that I sort of have to make choices on and talk to creators on. I think that that's the fundamental reason why, um, you know, he's attracted somebody like a Tally. Abigail, obviously, for obvious reasons, you know, more friends than than lovers. And also they're from the same society. It's boring to him, you know, at that point, I think, it's, you know, this is not, yeah. you want to keep, you know, propagating the same sort of line for him. And, and then, of course, Rael for obvious reasons. And so... I think out of the coven, Tally represented that for him, you know, so, yeah. She's a very good choice. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. Though I, I understand, I'm fully, I fully understand the, uh, <laughs> the other um, relationship, which as a fan of the show, I was just like, that makes sense. You know, it's been developed. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And so I think as an actor, I totally get the whole like huh like what like you're missing the whole season three like it just shows up and then they're you know so i totally understand that like i i am i am i fully get it um but you know it's one of those things where 
I was just like, I'm not going to say no to showing up and doing a show and saying bye to everybody, you know, for the last time, unfortunately, you know, it's my, I was just like, I just want to, if, if I get to just be a part of this world one more time before, before the, everyone says goodbye, I'm going to do it. I'm going to show up. I'm going to do what they tell me to do, you know? And so I, I was just uh, happy. And Jess is one of my really, really good friends. Um, you know, and we were supposed to hang out again next week. I've been, I've been away. I've been not in town for a long time, but like, she's, she's just such a genuine, wonderful spirit. And so I getting to do those scenes was a funny because we're such good friends more than anything else. It was not sexy, like at all. It was very, very uh, funny. We were just laughing the whole time. Um, and so, so just getting to spend more time with her in that way is just uh, always, always amazing. That and that painting that I know. was in there with you guys. <laughs> yep. Whoever like props to the props so on that was creepy. I know. Very <laughs> creepy. Very disapproving. I know. It's funny. Like I was, um, Jess was filming another scene, and I, I there was still I had like I think I had like a four hour break or something between scenes, and like I, and I like went up. We were filming in this mansion, and like I just went up to that spot in the mansion, and I just sat there, and I was just like rehearsing the scene with myself. Um, and I, yeah, I got creeped out because they put the picture there and I was, I was just alone. <laughs> Nobody else was there. No. And, like, and I found myself just staring at the painting for like abnormally long. And I swear, like the painting like moved a little bit. And I was like, all right, you know oh, what? Hell no. No. I'm, I'm running away. I'm walking out of here. Uh, was that so. worse than the dollhouse? <laughs> In a way, yes, because it's subtle. Like, it's like really weird and creepy. Like it's it's a dollhouse. Like they're there in front of you, and so you know it is what it is. But like this one was just like I was alone. At least there, the crew was around me and stuff. Like I, mm -hmm. you know. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Do not want. No, yeah, I'm so not. sorry. <laughs> you should have just taken it home with you. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, actually, somebody contacted me the other day about my uh, combat blues. Uh, it was sold in an auction or something, and somebody mm -hmm. has them. Yep. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I got some stuff in that auction too. We all kind of yeah. Everyone banded together, fan wise, to buy as many of the lots as possible so that right. we could sell them. Uh, the ones we didn't want to keep, sell them to other fans at the price that they were bought at and not like a, a right, jacked right, up right. price. Oh, that's awesome. So. Yeah. I think, I think it, um, the jacket, like my jacket, the jacket that I wore is now with the drama department of like some school. Oh, that's, yeah. okay. that's cool. So, so, yeah. I was really touched by that. I was like, actually, yeah, she was kind enough to message me and be like, Hey, I'm going to, sh I'll ship it back to you if you want it. And I was just like, and she's like, but I'm also thinking of giving it to the drama. And I was like, the drama department, like give it to the, that's amazing. Yeah, for real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got a Dill's pants. You got a Dill's pants? <laughs> she does. I have, I have several things, but among them are a Dill's pants. <laughs> They're the ones that they called his daddy pants. Oh, those. Okay. <laughs> Tony, Tony will be very, dis no, I'm kidding. I don't know. I don't know, but Tony, Tony should be happy. He can have them. Yeah, no, <laughs> they no. Came <laughs> they came in a lot with uh, some of Edwin's stuff and some of Quinn's stuff and a yeah. Sil one of Scylla's jackets. That's so cool. It's so weird being uh, on the other side of it. It's like a weird, because um, I'm like, you know, before I became an actor, I'm like, I'm a fan of all these things. I'm just a huge nerd. And so I would buy stuff from comic cons or auctions and stuff like that. And I would have like signed things from people and like, it's just weird. 
like I still don't see myself that way. I still, I'm, I'm obviously, I still see myself as a normal person, of course. But so it's just like it's a weird like thing where even just fan art, like you know, like I would, I would do fan art, or, or I would like you know look at other people's fan art and stuff, and and like so it's weird like when people are so kind enough to draw Gregorio's like fan art and like post it and stuff. It's just it just trips me out. It's so weird in like a good way. Like I'm really yeah. grateful for it, but it's like it's such a yeah. That's like, one of the wildest uh... things about this whole experience for me. Bizarre meta moments. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't sink well, in. Right? Now that you said that, I'm totally gonna do a Gregorio edit. <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to. No, but yeah, it's <laughs> gonna happen. <laughs> I want to, and I've already done one. Uh, I'm working on Emily's right now. Oh, cool, cool, cool. That's another character that I, I wish I, you know, could have seen more, much more of. Uh, Isadora. Yes. Yeah, everybody does because yeah. Isadora is the coolest. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Badass. All right. Well, we've reached the point in the podcast where Caitlin Uh-oh. can come back because she wants to talk to you. <laughs> it's, it got really crazy in my house like the, 10 minutes ago and it hasn't stopped. Girls, are you fine? They're dogs, by the way. Oh, the dogs. Yes. Okay, I was going to say. Dogs. Like, dogs. They're dogs. Are, dogs. Your, are your siblings sleeping on the floor right now? Okay. All right. <laughs> She's talking to her invisible no. friends. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Hey. I had some great invisible friends going up. They were some of my best pals. All right. Hey, word. Anyway. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, same. That inside out scene with the imaginary friend, um, always. Yes. Like, I die... I die every time. I cry so much every time. Oh, yeah. Um, that might be some masterpiece. Yeah. Um, I do. This is so off topic, but that's just, that's my brand. Um, one of my friends and I had a friend, imaginary, and we named him Choo Choo Head. <laughs> Why? I don't know. No, I that just remembered that. How old were you? <laughs> um, Definitely like. Kindergarten, okay. Younger. Okay. That's yeah, a little like, loud. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, You're within age range. It was definitely very little. Um, but anyway, now is when I don't ask the questions that I'm supposed to, and I bring up stuff that I've written down while Brie and Theora talk. Actually, I wrote this beforehand, but you posted a picture on Instagram and you brought up your parents earlier, so I wanted to tell you that I, I love this. Your caption was your mom saying, is this fashion now? Why is the shirt open like that? Please close it. <laughs> it's always, you know, it's funny too. It's like, it's so matter of fact too. Like, it's not even like, it's just, it's just so like, I'll just get like texts out of the blue, just being like, saw this thing, fix your collar. Like, it's just weird. Uh, just like, and it's very like matter of fact. I, has, I still to this day, haven't gotten a compliment from my parents, not once. But I think that's just part of the the uh, Asian Canadian Asian American experience. I feel like you know I just we just we're the immigrant parents. You know they never they never really they always keep you humble. Find a way. Um, but yes, that photo exactly like and that's the thing. Like it's I always feel those photo shoots are so uncomfortable. Like anybody that actually knows me in life, I am the opposite of that. And so it takes a lot to get me in that position where I'm like in that photo shoot and then like not self aware enough to be like so self-conscious and stuff like that. And so even me, like, I'm also surprised when I look at this photo and just like, Ugh, okay, weird. That's, that's weird. Um, and so when my parents comment on it, I also, I'm just like, yeah, you're right. It's stupid. I don't know why my shirt's open like that. I'm sorry. I should, should close it next time. Um, so, so 
<laughs> I uh, I kind of I get it. I also I get it, but uh, but yeah, parents, man, they, that's I love them, but that's that's what their that's what their job is, right? So yep, keeping animal, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why anybody's like, oh, don't get too famous for me, or whatever. People joke around, and I'm just like, are you kidding me? Have you met my parents? There's no chance. Uh, They're yeah. still critiquing fight scenes. Oh yeah. my god. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my gosh. I showed my dad this podcast and he's like, what, can you position your camera in a way so you're looking here and not there? I'm like, dad, I, no, just, just watch it. <laughs> they can never see the big picture. They, they, it's always no. like, they like, they like the straight away. It's just like, there's that zit on your face. Take care of your skin more. Yeah. It's like, all right, well, you know. Yeah, I love when my mom. My mom's like, I'm like, I can't do this thing with you because I have to work, and she's like, Oh, is it work, work or a hobby work? Oh like, yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Yep. 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 So that's a life. That's uh, yeah. You can imagine when I was trying to become an actor. That's you can imagine the uh, conversations that were. Uh, You're a strong person. Had. It was. Uh, it was a lot. Yes. It was. A, it, was it was a lot. Yeah. At a certain point, you just start sneaking out of that. You just don't tell them anything. You just do things, <laughs> and then yeah, and then you and then you present them the data afterwards. That's how precisely, yeah. Conduct the study exactly. in secret. Speaking of data, yes. Um, so <laughs> I don't know how great of a segue this yeah, is. I know. I was gonna about. say. I was just like, you really, uh, yeah. You've gone on the limb here. So let's let's see. <laughs> wait for it wait for it this is my job is to completely throw everybody off um <laughs> that's my the job that i gave myself uh we saw that you have a degree in chemical engineering with yeah. a minor in environmental engineering and to yeah. fact check that i also saw that you were in acapella while getting oh, these degrees oh yes so <laughs> The pitch perfect movies be... are real. They're very real. Um, the pitch perfect movies. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So as you, so from that, that should tell you how much of a nerd I am. Um, I uh, and proudly, I'm very proud of all of that. My girlfriend still makes fun of me for the acapella thing, and Aww. I don't understand why. Why? Just, like, no, I don't I know. It was so cool. Yeah. She's just like, oh my god, you're such a nerd. Cool she's like, she's like, oh, yeah. you're such a nerd. But she like, it's like she's like in a cute way. She makes fun of me. She's like, oh god, you're such a nerd. But I'm just like, you know what? I, so here's the thing. I am a, like, I'm a musical theater fanatic. Like that's why musical theater is my life. Like that's where I, like I, I was always doing musical theater on stage and stuff. And so I'm a show tunes person. And when I did What's chemical engineering, show? oh man, I have a bunch. Sorry. Like, no, no, no. My favorite would probably be, I mean, any of the Sondheim musicals, like like Sunday in the Park with George or uh, Sweeney Todd, um, mm -hmm. all of Lin-Manuel Miranda's new stuff. Um, I love Jason Robert Brown's music, so any of his. Oh yeah, are... you're not allowed to use those for auditions, though. No, 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 overdone, <laughs> way too overdone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I well, that's the next. I really want to do musical again very soon. But yeah, um, so so, but because of my schedule with chemical engineering and how hard and and how much of a workload it was, I couldn't in in university. I couldn't uh, spend time to do any theater uh, on the side at all. So the closest thing that that offered me the experience of musical theater was the acapella group. Um, it was uh, Solstice acapella, but not Solstice. It was S-O-U-L, Soul. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Fun. And you were, you were a lead vocalist and tenor. I was. I was. I was the tenor for three years. I was like the main tenor for three years. 
Um, and, uh, and we performed everywhere in Montreal because that's where I went to school. And then I, uh, I even went to New York for like an acapella competition. So like we competed against Columbia and Yale and, um, and some oh. other colleges as well. I think we came like fifth place or something like that in that nice. particular competition. Um, so up until that point, I didn't think pitch perfect, but like, it's a, it's very, yeah, it, like there's things get very petty and like there's little competition between the groups and, and, uh, and even in Montreal, like we had like, there was three acapella groups in that city uh, and, and like we had little rivalries with them. Like some of them would get onto TV, like a, like a news channel segment or whatever. And some of us would just be very jealous the whole day. And it, it got very, it was very, there's a lot of acapella politics, um, you know, that are involved, but, uh. But yeah, yeah, I'm a chemical engineer. That was my past life. <laughs> I almost tried to do acapella, but I can't do harmonies. Those things are really hard. Yeah, it's 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 hard. It takes practice. It does. Yeah. So this is how much we get off topic. That wasn't actually the question. Okay. Um, cool. The question was, what was the question? Do you think, what made you want to transition into acting instead? And do you think you would ever go back to engineering? Um, I, I think acting for me was always the number one passion. Like that was my number one thing. I've always wanted to do that since I came out from the womb. Like that was my thing, you know, for me. So I, um, but you know, I'm an immigrant. I'm like a first generation immigrant. I moved to Canada when I was nine. Um, and, and so my parents and the way a lot of people like myself are conditioned is security and stability. And so, going to drama school or becoming an actor and stuff, or even going back and doing things in Bollywood, because that's all I saw myself like represented as at that time, I, I was too whitewashed to be in Bollywood, right? Like I was just too much of a Canadian, like with, like, I just, yeah, I, I, I even the way I would speak my own native language, I was like, it was too Americanized already. And so I, that wasn't an option. And then in North America, there wasn't enough representation for someone like me. And so growing up, I never gave myself permission to dream that way. You know, um, my, my, my white friends could, cause that's, they saw themselves on screen. Right. So that was for them. It was always a, an option, but for me, I just never dreamt that I, that could, that was even a possibility. And so even when it came time to high school, I, I decided to pursue engineering mainly because my, I had really good grades in math and math and physics, and I was still really good at those subjects. And so I was like, all right, well, I guess this is going to be my life. I'm going to do this um, for the rest of my life. And, um, and I guess I'll just do arts as a hobby. Right. And so when, when it came time to making that decision, that's what I did. And, and then eventually as I went through university, I started discovering, you know, little university clubs or acapella, or, you know, I would, I would, uh, get a group of friends and we start shooting short films and, and slowly I would give myself permission to do those little things. And then representation, uh, uh, on screens, started increasing also over time. So I started seeing more and more people that look like me on screen. And, and so that slowly gave me the courage to be like, you know what, I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to graduate. And then I'm going to give myself an actual shot at this. Um, so acting was always the game plan from, from day one. Um, but I took a bit of a detour um, because of the reasons that I mentioned, you know, it's, and those are very real reasons. Those are many reasons why still a lot of uh, uh, South Asian actors um, don't get into this business. It's because, you know, it, it doesn't seem like a viable career choice for them, you know? And so part of my responsibility now, and I do put a, put some pressure on myself for that as well is to um, be the first in my family to become like a successful artist, but also other, you know, 
kids can look up to someone like me and also be like, Hey, if he did this then I could maybe do this as well, you know, um, as for going back to engineering, I don't think I can anymore at this point because, um, I'm really far removed from it at this point. I, I like, I'm so out of practice. And, uh, and then the other thing I keep forgetting is every year people graduate, um, from universities that actually want to be, uh, engineers who are way more qualified than I am at this point. So, uh, it'd be wildly irresponsible for anybody to hire me as an engineer right now, I think. So, well, I mean, if they want an entertaining engineer, it's, yeah, exactly. You know, if they need musical parties, theater their parties, in their office, exactly at their parties, I can sing them some Sweeney Todd, you know, and, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I we'd hire that, you for our parties. I'm, I would only sing Solstice Acapella songs for your parties. I love yes. that. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so do you consider like engineering, like the safe option? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if you, it, 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 well, yeah, because it's, it's the safest, um, in terms of bang for your buck, like the amount of time you invest in your degree and its job prospects, it is probably the safest degree out there. Um, but if you truly yeah. love it, then you should pursue it. But if you don't, it's doing yourself a disservice, you know? And, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I was, when I worked um, as an engineer, I took away, my boss actually even mentioned this to me because I would skip not skip meetings, but I would like, I just wouldn't show the same initiative that other people would. And I would like rehearse monologues in the stairwell during meetings. And I would like make up fake excuses to go to auditions while I was, you know, doing my internships and stuff. And like, and she was, she told me, she's like, you know, there's people that actually want to do this and you're taking that away from them. And that's when I felt awful about it. And so, um, it is, yeah, I think yes, safe in terms of just like it's the security and stability it provides. Um, but yeah, at the same time, I think it's, I didn't love it. So that, that's mainly why I didn't, you know, stick with it. Yeah, I think you, you answered the rest of the question. The, the yeah. whole thing was many people choose the safe option when picking with the study and do as a career, me included. Do you ever feel like you wasted time trying to take the safe path instead of going after what you really wanted? I, okay, well, I will say this. I don't see it as a waste of time. I, I think... Okay. It, all of those things make you who you are. I think that life experience has made me a better actor. If I didn't go through those experiences, I'm not the actor that I am today. I think, I think, in fact, my advice to any person who wants to be an artist full time or an actor full time is, is have your day job and do your day job until you can prove that you can actually do this full time. Uh, it's always smart to have some sort of flexible side income of some kind. There's a whole fallacy that exists where people just move to LA and they pack their things and they move to LA and they make it big. Like that doesn't happen. It's that's, that's pure luck. And it only happens to the 1% of people. Um, you know, I think for the rest of us, you have to be smart and strategic about when you decide to leave your job. You know, you have to be smart and strategic about like when you decide to take those calculated risks. You know, I think sometimes there's a lot of irresponsible advice out there where it's just like, do this and follow your dreams and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, that's all great and everything. But, but if you don't have a plan to follow that dream, then there's, you're doing yourself a disservice, you know? And so I think I always tell people, go do a job, go get some work experience, go travel, like, like get face some adversity in your life and do things that are outside of just acting or whatever, you know, because all those things fuel your soul, they fuel your journey, they fuel your career. And, and so, um, so yeah, safe option is actually good sometimes. I think it's important to, to have that on the side, you know? That's very good advice. 
Yes. Realistic advice, I think. But Yeah. <laughs> it's Pranate's advice corner. I know. I got become I become a self help guru now all of a sudden. It's, yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. So transitioning a little bit out of like the self-help genre, um, we saw that you did a short film called Mom versus yeah. Machine. Can you mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that? Oh, okay. Yes, I'm very excited about it. Um, it is, uh, speaking of representation, I think part of my mandate for my production company is to do um, genre cinema, which means just like, you know, I like, I'm a huge anime fan. I'm a huge cyberpunk anime, like uh, sci-fi nerd. And so like, I think part of the conversation of representation and diversity is to diversify the types of things that people of color get to be in. Right. So instead of telling the same stories about mining their trauma, about, you know, them moving as refugees from this thing to, to, from a country to North America and their, their, all their hardships all the time, you know, instead of that, you know, cast people of color and just fun things. And I think that automatically changes the conversation. So for me, the one thing I wasn't seeing is uh, women of color who were 60 plus that were leads in anything. And the other thing was also them in a, in a science fiction. And so, um, Oh, oh, she's gone. Okay. Oh, no, she's back. Um, and so, uh, and so, um, it's based on a kind of a true, true story. I, um, bought my mom a rotimatic machine. Uh, rotis are Indian. It's like an Indian bread. And so my mom, uh, the way she expresses love is through her food. She's an incredible foodie and she's an incredible cook. And, uh, sometimes we as her children take that for granted. And so I bought her this automatic roti making machine for Christmas. And instead of being like, oh my God, this is gonna make my job so easy. She was like, what are you doing? You're trying to replace me with a machine. Yeah. And that's what, that's what prompted the idea of essentially this mother who gets gifted this automatic Indian food making machine by her son, her bratty spoiled son, um, as a way for him to like leave her out of his life. Um, and then she has an identity crisis about, you know, battling this sentient Indian food making machine to compete for the affection of her son. And so it's this really fun sci-fi comedy, um, about what being a mother actually means. And so we were able to cast this incredible actor, Nimet Kanji. She's, uh, she sort of exemplifies everything that we wanted in the role and she's an incredible actor, but you never see her play roles like this on television ever. And so this was a chance to, you know. Uh, I work with her in that capacity. I got to play her son in the movie and I produced it as well. And, um, and so now it's in its festival tour. It uh, premiered at the Fantasia Film Festival uh, in Montreal. It's, uh, it was just at Holly Shorts in LA like two weeks ago. Um, so it played at the TCL Chinese Theater. It's going to be at the Brooklyn Horror Festival very soon. So yeah, it's doing, it's doing the rounds now. And, um, and then fun fun motherland fact about it is uh, I went to war with, I had to go to war with Disney um, to cast S in the film. I, uh, oh. It was during the pandemic COVID time. And mm. so I, when I was directing, when I, when I was producing the short film, it was right in the middle of filming season two. And um, I won't spoil it, but S plays this really cool part in it. And, uh, and so I wanted S in it and I figured it was smart to cast S too, because we were in the bubble together. Yeah. And so, um, and so, uh, Amanda Tapping and Tracy Jeffrey, the producers, they, they were actually on my side of things, but I had to like write up like a 15 page COVID plan 
and send it to Disney wow. um, for them to prove both of us getting to do this film. Um, so that was a stressful. That makes sense for Disney. Yeah, yeah. we've, we've yeah. had to deal with Disney a little bit. Lots of yeah, have- yeah. And like, and it's, I get it from the perspective of like, it's a liability thing and insurance thing. Mm-hmm. I get it. But like, it's, it was just, they made life a living hell for me in particular for that two weeks. And I was just like, it's this is like such a low budget short film. Like, what are you, why are you wasting your time going after me for this? You know, but, but I get it. And so we both, um, both S and I were very happy that, uh, we were able to, you know, do it. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I really hope all of you get to check it out very soon. I, I, I have some. I'll have some news on it. It'll be out next year at some point um, on a really, really cool channel. Uh, so we did get distribution for it. And so um, I can't wait. So cool. can't wait That's awesome. There. But yeah, totally I, I can't fair. wait for everybody to check it out. And uh, yeah, thank you for asking about that. that. That's really sweet of you. I didn't. Oh, I love it. Honestly, like I come yeah. from like a very like Italian, like immigrant kind of family. And so like that scenario, I was like, my grandmother would have killed whoever. Tried. Like if you try to get her a pasta machine, she'd be like, what am I supposed to do what now? You t- like, okay, yeah. I have a really funny story about my grandma. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, so recipes are like, you know, passed down, you know, secrets, mother yeah, and daughter yeah, yeah. kind of thing. My grandmother yeah. refused to do that. And so she would cook for holidays in the middle of the night so that nobody could get the recipe. So you couldn't replace her. So that premise is so what? relatable. I love it so that much. That is so, yeah, there's a grandmother character in the film. Uh, it's very Godfather esque. Like, it's very, yeah. like, uh, yeah, I she's like on a rocking chair, and she's just like, "What have you come to me with? You know, what can I help you?" Know, it's, very, <laughs> it's very like she does a full Marlon Brando accent. It's actually, like very, uh, yeah, yeah, very intentional on our part. But that's the thing. That's the commonality between Indian yeah. and Italian cultures. Like they're very similar, actually, in many ways. Yeah, food is a when it comes language. to food and stuff. I love yeah. It. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so fun. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be amazing. <laughs> Alrighty. On your resume, you have a lot of accents listed. Yeah. So how do you go about learning different accents? And are there any that were harder for you to pick up? Uh, I think just watching. I mean, I like I it's it's uh, I don't do the whole Rosetta Stone thing or whatever. Like I, I probably should maybe that'd be an easier way to learn. But I, I just watch uh, hmm. movies and watch actors and watch uh, things from different countries uh to learn uh of course without practice i get very rusty so if there's a project that i have to go into with it with that needs a particular accent i have to practice a lot before i start um but yeah it's mostly just watching uh watching things um yeah yeah and theater right like by doing theater like you sort of learn trial by fire you, you kind of do a lot of accents um just generally on stage um so yeah there you go. So there's no good segue into this question, so I'm just going to read it. While my dog cries in the corner. <laughs> I know, I can hear her. Brooklyn. Well, I'm not hearing anything, so so we're good. We're good. Oh, great. <laughs> well, I just, man. I heard it, but that's just my supersonic hearing. Oh, hmm. uh, yes. Bree's setup is amazing. We, we all know it. this. We get it. It's got all the tech. Just rub it in more. Why don't yeah. you? Yeah. See? Just rub it in. What can I say? <laughs> anyway. It's the only thing I have, okay? <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> that is not true at all. No. All right, fine. You have the question, Caitlin. <laughs> Come on, Caitlin. So, part of my f- <laughs> okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna read it now, okay, guys. 
Okay. So part of my family is from India, and I grew up really fascinated cool. with the culture and learning about the customs. You were originally born in Mumbai, but immigrated to Canada at nine years old. Do you remember living in India at all? And what was that transition like for you going to a across the world, basically. Yeah, um, I so I was born in India and I lived there till I was three. So I don't remember oh, three, much okay. till, till I was three. But I then I moved to Kuwait. So I lived in the Middle East for up until oh, okay. nine years old. And then because Kuwait's so close to India, like I would uh, go every summer, basically, and stay with my grandma and grandpa. And so uh, my memories of India were um, essentially the summers there, like when I was not in school. Yeah. And so it was a lot of just playing outside and uh, where I'm from in India, there's a lot of monkeys. Right. And so like, you know, we have squirrels here, but there's literally just like monkeys that like run around. And so a lot of my time was spent chasing monkeys. Uh, now looking back on it, it was probably very dangerous because yeah. the monkeys are vicious and they could have yeah. easily, they could have absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy to think about, but you know, when you're a kid, you don't think about these things. And then, um, and uh and I love India. Like I really love India and I'm, and I'm glad I, I still have a good relationship with that country because I go back very often. Uh, my aunt and uncle and my grandparents still live there. And so, um, and so I, you know, now I go back every five years or so, but like before I used to go back like literally every summer. And so, um, yeah, I mean, in fact, I actually, it's so, it's so Indian too. It's just like, even the summers I had to go to summer school as well. So like I would go to the Indian schools and I'd have my uniform, my little time, my backpack. Aww. And I would ride in the in the rickshaw, which is. Do you have um, any photos of that? Because I feel I like that's adorable. Photos. I have tons of photos. Wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll post. We need photos. to see this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll post photos <laughs> of, of all those we little need tiny yeah, Praneet. little tiny Praneet, uh Yeah, India photos, and and so I would uh, I would actually ride to school in a rickshaw. So like uh, it would be like two cows and a dude that would just like go with the cows, and the cows would pull the trolley, and I would sit in oh, it, wow. with my grandma, and and she dropped me off at the at the school, and and then picked me up after it was done, but. Um, but yeah, and, and part of also that that country, like, there's no other country in the world, and I, yeah, might be a controversial statement again, but I don't care, and I'll say this, there's no other country in the world that loves cinema as much as India does. Like, I'm sorry, but it's just a fact. Like, that cinema in that country is religion. Like, it is absolute religion. Like, uh, multiplexes and movies, you have to make it, like, you have to, like, book things, like, six months in advance to even get a spot to be able to sit in a theater and watch a movie. Like it is every movie theater is packed. People celebrate cinema there like no other country does. And I think my love of cinema was partly because I was born and brought up in that culture, you know, like it was just so ingrained in my, into my, um, into my brain from a very, very young age, uh, growing up and watching movies and theaters there and stuff. It's so. very ironic that it's like such a big deal, but then the career oh, yeah. is not taken as seriously. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, so, it's because it's nepotism, right? And that's what it is. It's 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 because every Bollywood actor is it's it's they're the son of somebody famous, or they're like the they're the you know the the cousin of somebody's uncle or whatever. Like it's like it's all nepotistic. And so, I think my parents also, when they were like, "What are you doing with your life?" They were also just like, "Well, it's all nepotism. So what are you going to do?" And I'm like, "Well, that's in Bollywood, yes, but here it's it's less of that. Even though it happens all the time, of course, but." Um, <laughs> you know, you know, and so, so yeah, it is a hundred, I have that conversation literally all the time with people where even my parents and even my aunts and uncles, where I'm just like, you guys were the ones that like would sit me down and watch Bollywood movies with me all the time. And you do that all the time. Literally. I mean, when you come home from work, all you were doing is watching Netflix. Like, um, and so there's this weird like thing of like those people 
pay bills also. Like they also do that for a living. So I don't understand how, you know, but yeah. is what it is. I feel like it's kind of similar to when they were like defunding the arts mm-hmm. and then, but everyone turned to the arts in times of like when the pandemic hit. Oh yeah. So, oh yeah. It's like, which do you want? Totally. And I had a mini existential crisis during the pandemic too, because we were all out of work and yeah. I also had, I was just like, what is my life? What's my life's purpose? Like, what's the point? Like, do I even, you know, do I even matter? Like what am I, my problems are so stupid compared to other people's problems, you know, like, and, uh, but then I'm like, oh wait, but like everybody's consuming all this stuff, you know, could you imagine how, how bored and depressed we would all be if, if, if the arts didn't exist, you know? And so yeah. there's, a, there's a very, very, <laughs> it's very valuable, you know? And so I sometimes have to remind myself of that, you know, on my bad days at least. Yeah. And it's transformative and, you know, like you were talking about earlier, representation has saved lives. So, oh yeah. Definitely. There's that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. I get messages from so many young uh, Indian uh, kids on Instagram, like from India directly, you know, um, if that doesn't show it, then I don't know what else does really. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Exactly. That's so beautiful. So we have a quick question um, about something behind the scenes. So... Caitlin's already laughing. So there is a... I'm, I'm like, confused, so okay. let's go. <laughs> right. Because I wrote this question and I gave it to Fiora. Too. But, okay, there's a video that you posted that Caitlin yes. wants to ask you about, her for context, where, yes. and Brie, where you're running and, like, talking about being stupid, and then they can't figure okay. out what's happening. I also don't remember. I genuinely <laughs> yes. don't remember. I don't know. <laughs> it's probably some inside joke. I, I have a feeling, and this is what happens as you get older. Like I just don't like I'm I'm like I'm 29. It's not I'm not like so so old, but like I don't understand how I forgot what we were talking about that day because it wasn't even that long ago. Right. And I don't remember what we filmed earlier. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I have no idea. And Amalia, Amalia is the one that says it first, and so I obviously knew what she was talking about because I say it back again, and everybody's laughing about it. So mm-hmm. I genuinely don't know. I wish I could tell Does you. Does she know? <laughs> let's ask her. Let's let's talk to her. Let's find out. Um, yeah, I Amalia, have no she's younger than us. She she, no she should be able to remember. I think we might have like done something really dumb. Maybe I think we might. I think we might have like the director of Lily probably said like, "Hey, do this," and we did the exact opposite or something like that, and then we were running <laughs> back. Uh, it could be something like that. I, I'm not sure. Uh, and also keep in mind, like that video was at like again like 2 a.m. Right. Um, <laughs> And, yeah, and, and people get delirious, and we were, yeah. Oh, this we know. Past, yeah. <laughs> Are we filmed most of our recap episodes at two a.m. for me? Right. So, and my yeah. part of the episode is at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm sleep drunk the entire time. <laughs> it's dangerous because you never know what's going to come is. out. Uh, but it's, it is, you know, there's some questionable stuff. <laughs> but luckily, luckily the cast is judgment. There was a judgment-free zone in the cast because we are—we all were being absolute um, maniacs on set that day. But, yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the set, how did you? How did filming Motherland compare to other com- productions you've been on? You kind of talked a little bit about yeah. how it was kind of set the bar, but. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you had anything to expand on. Yeah, I think I mean I pretty much said everything when I talked about just the kindness, right? Like I think I think ultimately it set the bar for any future production because of how people treated you and and how we were expected to treat others, and um, it was just a, it was a family. I think that's the best way I can describe it, right? Like every you just felt so cared for by everybody. I mean, um, Sherry, who was the, my on set costume person, she literally was like my mom. Like she would every five minutes, like asking me if I'm doing okay. And like, as soon as I was cold or whatever, come put like the coat on me and like, get me like hot snacks. And like, it was just like, it, like she didn't have to do any of that, you know, at all. Um, I was just a recurring character on the show. Like, and so, but that I saw that with anybody, whether it was a person who only said one line, a person that background and moved, you know, sort of did nothing but just like walk in the background and walk back. Like everybody was treated the same. And, um, and so, yeah, I think that that's my experience, really. That, that's the way I can sum it up best. It's, it's, uh, yeah. I, I do have a, I don't know if, I keep forgetting to ask this to people because we made these Valentines way back when it was like that was, in February. Was that, you, that was you. Yeah. Okay. So I was going to ask funny. you if, if you remembered them or if they ever actually got passed out because we never heard. Oh, passed out in person? Like, physical copies of them? Yeah, they were, like, someone in, I think it was either hair and makeup, they wanted to, they contacted us and wanted to print them out uh, and give okay. them to the actors as, like, appreciation. Okay. So, um, I always forget to ask if that ever happened. I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, yeah. I, I also probably might not have been on set that day, too. Um, you might not have, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The but one I, time I remember. Yeah. Well, I do see, I, I remember seeing it online, though, because I think you posted it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's like, like, that's how they found them. So they found them and we got contacted and we were like, we'd like to give them to the actors. Oh, no, I didn't, I didn't they're get. They're so awesome. Yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I did not get the Valentine on set at all, but, uh, I did like I was filming my other show. Like I got, I got messages from fans. Like I got postcards from fans to my trailer in, and I was in a remote location in northern Canada. Like when I was filming this, like I don't know how they found out where I was filming. Um, People are creepy. I dedicated. I can't say anything. No. I can't okay. say anything though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know, but it's just like I was because it was just they were so sweet. Like the messages and like the letters and all that. It was like very. They didn't seem creepy, like like when like when it was written, but it was just like I was like yeah, some deep dive, like they like went digging, like it was. Uh, yeah, yeah, I relate. <laughs> <laughs> but it's public information. Now I found out later that it was it was there. It was like on the Film Trade Commission website or whatever. But yeah, crazy. You just wait. You're gonna get a, like a random Valentine from us one day, and you'll be like, oh. <laughs> Those, those creepers, all right. <laughs> those creepers. Nah, nah, I won't think of those creepers at <laughs> it's all. It's a challenge now. No, 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 no. Not at all. I, I honestly find it all very touching. I really do. It's, it's again, I'm just a recurring character on this show. It's it's not uh, just the people taking time out of their day to do with that. I find it very, very sweet. So, yeah. Well, you made an impact. Even if it was small screen time, you made an impact. So I appreciate that. Thank you. You've done a, a lot of amazing things in your career so far, but what is something that you haven't done yet, but want to do or accomplish in your career? I think I'm in an interesting place in my career right now where I've, um, 
obviously I'm transitioning from the teen drama phase to more adult roles. Um, I'm filming my most adult role to date, as you can see with the, the beard. Um, <laughs> um, I think, I think that's the next phase, right? I, I, I don't, I want to work with really good directors. I want to um, play roles that are um, like, I love the TV show succession. I love, you know, um, the show hacks on HBO max as well. Like I, yes. I, I love those types of like, so I want to diversify. I want to do shows like that. Um, um, I guess I want to do more comedic stuff as well. Like I, you know, um, I have this weird, I, this weird, I really want to do a movie with Adam Sandler and I don't know why. Like, I just, I, I just think he's brilliant and I just, I want to be, even if I'm just like his sidekick or if I'm just like, I don't know, something like, I just like, I love Adam Sandler's work recently. So I really want to be in like a movie with Adam Sandler. Was that your question? What was your question again? Your question was no. what I wanted uh, to do. Yeah. No. What yeah. do you want to do or accomplish in your career? Yeah. yeah. I, I think uh, on a more serious note, what I do want is um, like with my production company, I, I do want to do what a lot of actors in Hollywood are doing right now, of course, but like, I really want to be able to, um, uh, support like genre cinema for, uh, people of color, right? Like I really want to, um, be able to make more movies like Mom vs. Machine on a bigger scale, on a bigger budget. And, you know, like everything everywhere all at once was a great example of that. You know, that was a great example of that. Um, I like to think Mom vs. Machine inspired, um, that movie, but, uh, it, it very much didn't, but, uh, but, uh, no, but yeah, like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I really want to do stuff like that and, and yeah. I want to have a hand in producing those. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what hopefully 10 years down the line, that's what I hope to be uh, doing. Love it. I feel like that's something Gregorio would approve of. Yes. 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 Very much. Very much so. Yeah on his soapbox on his soapbox <laughs> fighting I feel like fighting I need to it. adjust myself too now <laughs> sorry yes, yes follow the crowd we've all gotten taller yeah well well pretty we've, we've come to like the end of the interview at this point and uh just wanted to thank you really truly for taking the time to meet with us and rearranging your schedule and all those things we really appreciate it this was enlightening and so much fun but before we like close out officially is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners at home before we like sign off yeah i mean i, I just want to say thank you for for a like welcoming me with open arms um you know I, i've never been on a show with this much support and, and love before really like I, it was it was just so so touching both not to me not just to me but to all my castmates and all the new cast members um I can speak for all of them when I say that, like, we were absolutely blown away by, by all your support. And, you know, as sad as I am to see the show come to a temporary end, because I know we're still fighting for uh, future seasons as well. I, I, I hope to keep that relationship going, you know, like I, I, I want to support all your charities. I want to support the things that you all give back to that you're all passionate about. Um, this isn't a goodbye in that sense. It might be a goodbye for me contractually speaking, but, but I, I want to be able to uh, support you all as well, as much as you've supported me. And, and so I want to keep that relationship going um, online and, and hopefully down the road, even if there's some uh, fan conventions or uh, comic sort of comic con type conventions and stuff like that, hopefully I'll be, I'll be able to make it out in person to some of them as well and uh, get to meet everybody in person as well. So 
um, this isn't a goodbye. This is just a uh, see you later. And and yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, we, yeah, you can't get rid of us. Also, We're, you're stuck with yeah. us for life. Yeah, <laughs> we've learned recently from David and Jesse, there is no goodbye in mother tongue. So like that tracks. This is a see you later. Yeah, exactly. 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 Yeah. But um, unfortunately, this is actually a goodbye for all the listeners at home because we are signing <laughs> off. So again, thank you all for listening. Thank you again for neat. Um, we will see you guys next time. Thank you so Bye. much for having me, guys. Thank you so Bye. much. Yeah, Bye. literally anytime. This is great. And with that, we've been Big Gay Energy. If you like this episode, check out all of our other episodes on whatever you're using to listen right now. And please subscribe and like all the things. If you happen to be listening on Apple, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review, no matter how brief. This is what Apple uses in their algorithm to uh, help us gain a wider audience. So please, please, please help us out. Yes, and please feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you about everything and anything. And if we like it, we'll probably give you a shout out on the air. You can find us at All The Things, Twitter at Big Gay Energy Pod, Tumblr, Big Gay Energy Pod, Instagram, Big Gay Energy Pod, or you can email us at BigGayEnergyPod at gmail.com. Until next time, stay safe and hydrate for lesbian Jesus.